Today marks our third week as we uh, have begun the new year, I think in a great way rather than with making resolutions. Uh, we've done so with a, a plan of action for 100 days of prayer and join together as a congregation in 100 days of prayer. If you take a look on the back of your bulletin, you will see once again uh, why I think this is so significant for the life of our church. Because it asks the question, what happens when 300 people pray in triplets for 100 days? And it talks about amazing things. And that's what we're looking for and asking for God to do. And then uh, we're not telling you when and where and how to get together and pray or who you should gather with in your triplet. Uh, We don't tell you what to do. But we're asking you about several things to, to do around this process. And you can read through that just to be reminded about the fact that this is, a, this is a very significant time for us in the life of our church as we gather together. Uh, and if we can have that sense of unity and gathering together around the importance and significance of prayer, and at least 300 of us being engaged in that, 100 triplets gathering together in prayer, that would, could be, that could be life transforming for us as the individuals participating in it and for us as a congregation as we uh, continue to seek God's will and to grow in His grace. So then today, as uh, the third week in uh, launching this 100 days of prayer, we again focus on, uh, on, on a sermon, a message on prayer. Uh, prayer has been called the window of the soul because it reveals to us um, what we care about. You see, what we pray for is what we care about. And what we care about is what we pray about. I think sometimes as we struggle in our prayer life, uh, maybe again, uh, there are three things uh, that may be hindrance in our prayer life. First of all, we pray, we, we fear that we don't pray enough. And then if we start to pray, then we kind of feel like, well, maybe God hasn't, doesn't recognize our voice. We haven't been in touch with him for so long that he doesn't recognize our voice and he won't hear our prayers. And that's never the case. And God is always open and desiring for us to come to him in prayer and dialogue with him. I think another fear is that we, uh, we worry that we don't know the right words to use. Well, there are no correct or incorrect words to use when you come to God, except to address Him as God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, and then you just pour out your heart to Him. Words of love and, and appreciation, uh, affirmation, uh, you thank Him, uh, you praise Him, uh, you ask for things, you give Him your request, but then you always pray in His name. And then I think a third reason that we have difficulty in our prayer life is we don't think we have enough faith to be heard by God. And that certainly is not true at all. Uh, No matter how deep or no matter how shallow your faith might be, and God can always hear your prayer. Now, His encouragement to us always is He wants us to grow in our spiritual life and to develop our spiritual life. He wants us to grow in our our prayer life and to develop uh, our prayer life. And so he will encourage us to grow in that way. I think one of the really neat things that God does for us to help encourage us in prayer is that in our struggle with prayer through the scriptures, he gives us some great examples of people who offered up great and powerful prayers. People like Moses as he prayed for the people, like Daniel when he prayed, Nehemiah praying about God's direction and guidance about rebuilding the wall. In John 17, we see a great prayer that Jesus prayed. And you know, he was praying even back then in John 17. He was praying for you and for me today. 
because he was praying about the church and praying for the disciples and asking God to protect us in this world. Not to take us out of this world, but to be with us as we are in this world. And then, of course, we find some of the great prayers of the Apostle Paul. And last week we looked at um, one of his in Ephesians chapter 1. And we were encouraged to pray for wisdom to know God better. That's a prayer of revelation. But today we're going to look at Paul's second prayer in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And if you open your Bible and follow along or find one there on your pew or watch it on the screen, we'll hear the Scripture together. Paul writes again and he says, for this reason, and he started several of his prayers that way. He said, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he ends with this great doxology. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now that's a great prayer. In fact, it has been called one of the greatest prayers recorded in Scripture. In fact, one writer commented and said, this is the holy of holies in the Christian life. And another writer called it a prayer for the impossible. Now just what is it that Paul is praying for? Remember, he is writing this originally uh, to the church at Ephesus. So he's writing to the believers in the church known as the Ephesians. And he's writing to them to encourage them in their struggles that they were having. That's why Paul starts it off by saying, for this reason. So what is it that Paul finally gets to? You might think, well, here we go again. Like last week, a lot of words and maybe some rambling phrases put together. Well, the heart of his prayer is found in verse 16, where Paul says that his, the, the object of this prayer, the reason for this prayer, the objective is that God might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So, therefore, it's just simply uh, to observe the fact that this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, that they would experience spiritual strength. In their inner being, which literally means in the inner man or the inner person. And he asked that God would strengthen them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, why did he pray specifically for them in the second prayer here in the book of Ephesians? Uh, that they would be strengthened spiritually. The first one we looked at in chapter 1 was where he prayed for them to have their mind open, a revelation in their mind for seeing the greatness of God and understanding more about God. Well, when we look at this, and he says again in verse 14, for this reason, you notice you go back to chapter 3, the very beginning, verse 1, 
Paul says the same thing. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then there's a, there's a, a, a in my scripture, there's a dash. Because Paul has a second thought that he goes to. And he elaborates on the reason why. It's because they were struggling with their faith. You know, and they got to understand this. This whole concept was new to them. They'd come out of a heritage of, of uh, Judaism. And now they were in the early stages of the Christian life. And Paul was going through some very difficult times. And they were concerned about him. And so they had some disappointment and some struggle in their life. And when you get down then to verse 13, Paul says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for which you are my glory. And Paul is saying to them, the reason I'm praying that you will be strengthened inwardly, spiritually, as he says again, he starts over in, in verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father. And he gives us a great posture there for prayer, doesn't he? That the reason is because he did not want these Ephesians to be discouraged. I mean, you look behind what that word means, it literally means he did not want them to lose heart or, or to give up or to become faint in their strength of faith. Now, that prayer could be designed for us as well today, couldn't it? We, we go through some struggles in life. We go up and down in our spiritual life. Certainly, there are enough things that are taking place in our state uh, and in our country and around the world that, that might give us some struggle about uh, where is God doing this time? Is He really in control? Is He really sovereign? And then you always have the personal issues that we deal with. You know, like Dan talked about, about those uh, Jesus take the wheel moments. That sometimes we don't, we don't give him that wheel of our life or, or the leadership of our life or the lordship of our life until some crisis hits us. And so there's always reason for us to understand that we need to pray for spiritual strength. The reasons are manifold. We need that when we are strength, when we are weak, when we are tired. We need it when we are discouraged. We need it when we are tempted. Uh, we need it when we face a difficult situation in our life. We need that when we feel like giving up. We need that inner spiritual strength when we feel spiritually drained. And of course we need it for times that we feel somehow persecuted for our faith. So we need that spiritual strength within. We all need that. And that's what Paul prays for, for us. Not just the Ephesians back then, but he prays for us. That's the crux of it in verse 16. Then the remainder of this prayer gives us three things that take place. And I think that's where we get maybe from Paul, a lot of Paul's writings ended up in, in three points. As to why we, we laugh sometimes about sermons are always three points in a poem. Well, this is three points, three things that Paul says happen when we pray for that inner spiritual strength in the innermost part of our being. The first one is this, he says, that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. That's what he says in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. They might say, well, why did Paul use kind of a, a, an odd word there to dwell? Why didn't he just say it in a, in a more realistic way and say that Christ may live in your life? Well, it's interesting because that word dwell comes from two different words in the Greek put together, which literally mean to be down home. To dwell in your hearts literally means to be down home. 
What's the difference between a house and a home? A house is a building. A home is what you make it, and that's where you live, and that's, that's your dwelling place. And that's where you live and function together as a family, no matter what your family unit is. And, and so what he prays for is that Christ will dwell in our hearts. That is, that Christ would be so welcome in our life that he would feel at home in our life. Now, how do we get him into our life to simply feel that way? I think it means that we simply welcome him into every area of our life. And in doing so, we allow him to be Lord. Christ is not just a guest in our life. He is the Lord of our life. He is a permanent resident in our life. He feels at home there. Now, when we're talking about this prayer for spiritual strength, think about the strength that could be ours If every one of us opened our heart and our life, our innermost being, to the spiritual strength that we need so that God would be at home in in our heart and in our life, he'd feel comfortable being there. He would be welcomed there. You know, that's what Paul prays for, so that we would experience that spiritual strength and power. There are a lot of different ways that, that people today seek power and strength to get them through certain things. And maybe you're guilty of doing some of this. But uh, one of the ways that people do that is through these new energy drinks that are out there, like Monster or Red Bull. You know, I see people drinking these things and I'm thinking, you know, I believe if I drank one of those things, my heart would literally jump out of my chest. We had some electricians working at the house one day, and one of them was chugging a big can of that Red Bull. And I said, why are you drinking that? He said, well, I didn't get my coffee fixed this morning. So he said, I got to have this to get me through the day. Well, let me, let me tell you some of the danger about that. Last year, over 20,000 people were taken to the emergency room with anxiety, rapid heartbeat, seizures, or heart attacks after drinking some of these energy drinks. And why did they do that? Well, they felt like they needed a kick or a boost to get them through the day or whatever. Maybe a lot of students were guilty of that, trying to stay up to get papers written and studying for exams and all those kinds of things. You know, one of the people from the uh, physicians from the emergency room said, you know, people just don't realize the strength of these things. Well, that's one way you can try to get strength. But you know what I think we, we overlook? Is I don't think we realize the strength of inviting Christ into our life to dwell there and to be down at home in our life and to be the Lord of every area of our life. And we face that issue by simply asking a question, not how much of the Lord do I have, but how much of me does God have? See, that's the measure of whether Christ is at home in your life and you are allowing him to be the Lord of every area of your life. And so as Paul prays for us to have the spiritual strength, then he prays, first of all, that Christ would dwell within our hearts. Then the second thing he prays for is this, that we would develop a growing understanding of the love of Christ. He says that by saying, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep 
is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. This is the second great result of being strengthened in the inner being by the power of God. Is that we grow in an, in an ever increasing understanding of the love of Christ. Paul is saying, my prayer for you is, is that every day as Christ dwells in your life and you continue to turn over the lordship of your life to him, you will go grow more and more in your understanding of the love that Christ has for you, a comprehension of this love that Christ has for you. I read something this week in, in researching all this about prayer about a man by the name of Arthur Burns. And I don't know whether any of you remember that name or not. I, I, I didn't really realize who he was. But he was um, a Jewish economist. He, uh, he taught at Rutgers and he taught at Columbia University, which was his alma mater. And he was the advisor, financial advisor to several presidents. I think he died in 1987. But at one gathering of evangelical politicians, maybe one of the earlier prayer, day of prayers that the politicians uh, in Washington would engage in, Arthur Burns was there. And remember, he, he was a Jewish economist, his background was in Judaism. He was called on to pray. And this is what he prayed. He just blew everybody away by praying, Lord, I pray that Jews would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that Buddhists would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that Muslims would come to know Jesus Christ. And then he stunned everybody by saying, and Lord, I pray that Christians would come to know Jesus Christ. Now I wondered as I read that, why would he pray that? When you're a Christian, you're supposed to know Jesus Christ, right? I think that that was a great revelation of prayer where you're saying, Lord, I'm praying that those who claim you by name will really come to know you. And maybe the reason he was praying that was because he had not seen Christ lived out. Maybe in these politicians who had gathered there saying they were believers, maybe he hadn't seen that lived out in their life. Or maybe he hadn't seen that lived out in a lot of people who call themselves Christians. Well, that's a challenging thought, isn't it? That's why I think Paul says you need to pray for that spiritual strength that only God can give to you. Because when you have that spiritual strength and you welcome God into every area of your life, then you grow evermore day by day, always in an increasing understanding of the love of Christ. And we begin to understand then something about what Paul means by the width and the length and the height and, and the depth of the love of Christ. The early Christians, the early church understood it as a sign of the cross. The, the width and the length stood for the cross beam on which the arms of Christ were extended and the upright portion of the cross represented the height and the depth of, of God's love for us through Christ. That no matter how high he had to reach for us and no matter how deep he had to reach for us, there was the love of Christ reaching out to us. 
I think there's no greater way to associate that love than to see an image of the cross and to hear the Scripture there of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, there is the width and the length and the depth and the height of the love of Christ. For God so loved the world, that's the width of it. Encompassing all the world, but yet individually focusing upon each one of us. That He gave His only begotten Son. That's the length to which God would go that He would provide His own Son for the salvation of our souls. And then the depth is found in the words that you should not perish. And that is that He reached down to us in the depth of our sin so that we would not perish in our sin. And then there is the height that we might have everlasting life. That He lifts us up to the glories of heaven for all eternity. As someone said, Christ's love is broader than the universe. It's longer than time. It's higher than hope. It's deeper than death. And when we have that inner strength, we grow in that increasing understanding of the love of God for us. And then here's that third thing that Paul says as a result of that inner strength. And that is that we are filled with the fullness of God. It says in verse 19 that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I I think that ought to be the ultimate goal that every one of us should have. Is to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. The word there, filled, has that idea behind it of being dominated by something. And the reality is that most of us are always dominated by something. You see, if you're filled with rage, then rage will dominate your life. If you're filled with love, then love will dominate your life. If you're filled with joy, then joy will dominate your life. And if you're filled with God, then it's logical to say, then God Himself will dominate your life. That's a fantastic proposition, isn't it? To think about the transformation then that takes place in our life when we are filled with the fullness of God. And we are to be transformed. The gospel is life transforming. One of the great fears that I have that's sweeping our country today when we read about so many megachurches and so many people every week coming to Christ and then, then we look behind the scenes and you learn something about the life of some of those leaders. And I think that what they're just simply saying to these people is that all you have to do is just add Jesus to your life. You don't have to change anything in your lifestyle. Goodness, no, we wouldn't want you to do that. You just add Jesus to your life. And thousands of people are saying, yeah, I can do that. Man, that's easy. That's simple. And you can baptize by the thousands, and they do. But the reality is, if Christ dwells in you, what does the Bible say to us? We are a new creature, a new person. And what happens to the old? It's gone away. Folks, that calls for lifestyle change, I believe, and a radical transformation of our life and the changing of our heart. 
I think some of you are aware, and I'm not going to dwell on this point because I, I really love having them there. I'm not trying to run them off. But you know, we've got, we've got two children and their families living with us because they've made a move back to Columbia uh, because of ministry positions. And they're just living with us temporarily while they, they find their own housing. And so there's a variety of different foods in our house when it was just Cookie and myself that I'm discovering all the time. Last night, for some reason, after everybody had gone to bed, I just was plundering in the refrigerator just for something. You know, you get some kind of little, I just need something. I don't, you know, I don't know what it is. I just need something. I opened the door, and there was this bottle of stuff that Emily Ann had, um, and, and it was called, um, it was an amazing mango fruit smoothie. And I said, well, now that sounds interesting. And then I looked on there to see what all is in this amazing mango fruit smoothie. Now, you know, by law, every food item has to have the ingredients listed there. And it's usually in priority order of what's the most dominant in that food object. Now, now what was it that I pulled out of the refrigerator? It was an amazing mango fruit smoothie. Now listen to the first two items in that drink. Apple juice from concentrate, water, and apple juice. I looked at the front of it again. I cut it off last night. And it says, amazing mango. And the main ingredient is apple juice. I asked Emily Ann this morning when she was looking at the bottle that I had cut the label off of. I said, Emily why do they call it amazing mango when apple juice is the dominant juice in this thing? She said, oh, well, the mango has a strong flavor and, and they have to balance it with some of these other things. And I thought, mm, okay, all right. She said, you're not going to make an example of me in your sermon today, are you? I said, no, not by, not by any means. But as I looked at my amazing mango drink last night, the thought hit me, if we had listed on us somewhere the ingredients in our life, where would Jesus be? Would he dominate our life? Would he be first in our life? You see, here's the way this goes. If, if we believe that in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of God, and, and he does, and I hope we do, and if we believe that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, and, and I hope that we do, then we believe that in our lives this week, the fullness of God, the beauty of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the holiness of God, the kindness of God, all that God is may fill us and drive out all the evil. What kind of evil might there be in life? Lust, greed, impatience, unbelief, a critical spirit, maybe an angry intolerance. Now, how can that be possible? That we could be filled to the fullness of Christ and, and God would radiate through our life and there'd be that dramatic lifestyle change. Well, Paul makes it simple when he comes to the doxology. It's not up to you. It's not up to me to do that. We can't on our own. 
But look at verses 20 and 21. It's up to God and his power. Paul writes and says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. How can that be possible in our life? It's only through God's power at work in our life. Now, then what are the implications of this prayer? And you might say, well, you know, Paul Paul wrote that and he prayed that for the Ephesian church a couple thousand years ago almost. You know, what does it have to say to me? What does it say to our church today? Let me make some applications. First of all, I would suggest to you, incorporate this prayer into your life and pray for our church. Pray for Spring Valley Baptist Church. And ask, are we filled with the fullness of Christ? And do we have that power of God that's life transforming throughout our church body? And then that leads me to challenge you to ask something else. And that is, are we doing anything that really calls for the power of God? You know, I think for the most part, most everything that we do, we could keep right on doing without the power of the Holy Spirit of God in, in the life of this church. That's sad to say, isn't it? You might disagree with me, but that's my observation of it. You know, and then maybe in your quiet time when you pray that prayer for our church, maybe you will hear God say to you something like this, I can do more. I can do more. Ask me. Trust me. Believe me. I can do more. So pray this prayer for our church. Then secondly, pray this prayer for yourself. That you would have spiritual strength. And that Christ would dwell in you. And his fullness would dwell in you. And that he would be at home in your life. And you would have a growing comprehension of the love of Christ. And the fullness of God in your life. Pray that prayer. And then I would challenge you today. If you need to experience that radical life change that is brought about only through a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. Then come to him in faith and accept him. And let me tell you why you can trust him to do that. It's because he's he's already sent Jesus to die for your sins. Through Jesus, he's already paid the price for your sins. He's able to take you to heaven because Jesus took your punishment when he died in your place. And he's able to give you eternal life because Jesus rose from the dead. So I challenge you as we we go through this hundred days of prayer together. Put aside any other agenda that you have and be a part of the hundred days of prayer. If you haven't signed up or nobody's asked you to be a part of their prayer triplet, come this afternoon at 5 o'clock for our orientation. And I keep keep emphasizing just the prayer, but there's also going to be dialogue. You'll see there are going to be 10 things that we're going to be praying about in the life of our church that I think are very significant for us that we need in the life of our church to be praying about during this time. And and there's going to be great experiences that three of us will get together on, on a regular basis. Uh, That that in itself can be life transforming for us. I've got my triplets. I'm looking forward to getting together with them.
That's Steve Covington and Mr. Robert Crumpy are going to be my prayer triplet. I don't know if you picked yours out or not. There will probably be some people there tonight who, who say, well, you know, nobody asked me and I don't really know anybody. There you go. That's what we want you to do. We want you to learn more people in this dialogue process. So I challenge you to be a part of that. And remember that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think. So let's pray and ask Him to do that, okay? Join with me in prayer. Father, You are our God and our Heavenly Father. We thank You uh, that Your provisions in life are far greater than our needs. And we come to You today in the name of Jesus Christ, deeply conscious of our weaknesses and, and our doubts sometimes. And so we ask for a fresh faith to believe in You with all of our heart. Uh, teach us to pray big prayers uh, that You might be honored in a big way among us. Teach us to ask You and to trust You to do more in our life and in the life of this church. Thank You, Father, uh, that You are going to be glorified in our midst and in this church today, tomorrow, forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.